Well, I am, uh, I must honestly say, I'm humbled and deeply grateful for the opportunity to speak before you this morning. So uh, may I please begin on that note and bear with me here. I'm uh, getting a little used to how this all works. So, um, But before I begin here, I want to introduce myself a little bit. Some of you have known me a while and uh, others have not. This church has grown over the years, so I'm going to introduce my family. They're not all here this morning, so we'll do it via technology here. So there's my family. Why are you laughing? Oh yeah, my kids are a little older now, aren't they? Uh, Yeah, so this is my... uh, my wife, whom I call my gorgeous one, sitting next to me there, and our four kids. And if um, this was taken for the 2002 Oakwood Community Church Directory. And if memory serves me right, it was taken in December 2001 in the lobby of the original church on Baldwin Road. I see, I see Bill shaking his head, right? Yeah, I think that's when it was. Yeah, and Fran was there. We were not members of the church at that time, but Mary had been teaching in Awana. We had moved up after a short stint in Rochester Hills, and we were starting to look for a new church, and we actually started here when they moved into this building. And then our good friends, Jim and Cheryl Bongiorno over here, started a program called Sunshine Park. And guess who was recruited? (laughs) And so Mary and I stayed with that program for 14, 15 years, up until a couple years ago. And then um, we were Awana commanders for a year, and we took a break. And I don't know, last year somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're going to be on the elder board. And I said, what? (laughs) No, anyway, so there they are. And we'll get a more recent photo. This here, okay, okay. This was taken May 13th of 2017. In the middle there is our oldest daughter, Ashley. She was the one with the belt buckle on the side. And that is her husband, Lyle Red. You may know Laura Red, who runs Sunshine Park. That's his mom. And his brother, Lance, is running around here somewhere, probably. But uh, Lyle, he programs websites for a company here in Detroit, even though they live in Greenville, South Carolina. He works from home. And our daughter is a first grade school. And this is January 18th, 2020, just before coronavirus. Thank you. Uh, So this here is our third. And Emily is a cosmetologist by trade, but she just started a new job with a company that does custom fabrication for kitchen hoods and vents here in Oxford. And Alec is a civil engineer, what she loves to be called. She's 21. She's up at Saginaw State Uh, Saginaw Valley State University. She's earning a degree in biology and ecology and a minor in criminal justice. Pay you a dollar later. I think that's the rule, isn't it? So anyway, um, last September, we celebrated 32 years of marriage. And uh, (laughs) I know she's always going, what year were we married? I said, and I hear somebody ask her in the room, so how long you and Roger been married? She says, oh, 27, but we had two bad ones. So I yell across, yep, 27, 25 good ones. And, uh, and then when we reached 30 years, we had one bad one a while ago. Immediately I jump on it. That's right, 30 years and 29 good ones. All right? So I am looking forward to this September. When we hit 33, I think I'll be down to one bad month. So uh, that's what I'm hoping anyway. Um, 
And then on my, on the far right there is our son, Michael. He's our second oldest. He's 25. He did five years in the air wing of the U.S. Marine Corps. And last January, he started at Kansas State University. He's on a fast track. He'll be a junior here at the end of this semester, and he's earning his bachelor's in aviation to become a commercial airline pilot. So that's our family. So um, as we move on here to today's message, it's the book of Jude. Before we begin, would you join me in prayer, please? Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We know your word is good. And Lord, there's, there's many of us in this room, many listening today who've studied and known you for years, but yet there's always more to learn. And Lord, would you just open our spiritual eyes a little bit wider this morning and show us what you want us to learn. And may we not only hear it, but may we begin to know it and remember it so we can speak your truth. And for those who may be listening to your word for the very first time, Lord, may you put in them a hunger for your truth and your righteousness as we go to the book of Jude. Thank you. Amen. All right. So, um, you know, I was very excited when PD said, Raj, now that you're an elder, you, you got to preach a sermon, Okay. So I'm going to ask for your patience today because I've never preached a sermon before, so give me grace, please. This is my first shot at this. But I was really literally thrilled because he gave me three choices. And when I saw the book of Jude, I said, great, because it's in the middle of this gospel project. And if you're not familiar with the gospel project, it's a journey through the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And if you're not familiar, there's 66 books in the Bible, and Jude is number 65. So as you're getting out your gadgets right now, or your Bibles, because I encourage you to turn there, you just go all the way to the back and flip back one book, and you'll be there at Jude. Get your pencils ready if you're taking notes, or if you're in your gadgets, get ready to type, because I'm going to be sharing a number of verses we will not be necessarily putting up on the screen or turning to, but are critical if you're going to know God's Word. Um, but the reason I was so excited is because I'm telling you, oh, after over three years working in the book or the Bible, that's like 160 weeks. And I'm like, a book of Jude, I can do that in one Sunday. If we did it my way, we'd be done in 66 weeks, but it's okay. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll move on, right? Okay, so let's get started here. What's the big idea? What's the big idea? And this is why it's key is it's no remember and fight for God's truth. Know, remember, and fight for God's truth. Now, the author book is obviously Jude. It's named after him. And we so frequently, when we look at a book, and we see, sorry about this, um, who wrote it, right? Jude. And if you look at verse 1 and you look in the scriptures there, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. So quickly, when we read a book in the Bible, we just, okay, we go right over. Okay, 
Paul wrote this, Jude wrote this, but the question is, if we want to get the true context of what's happening here, we need to know who Jude was. Well, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ, that's great, a brother of James. Hmm, that should be a signal right there when we're reading, because biblical scholars will agree that James was actually a brother of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So what's that make Jude? makes him a brother of Jesus. And if you're not sure about that, Jesus had four brothers, Joseph, James, Judas, and Simon. Get your pencils ready, get your fingers ready. Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 55 will tell you about that, as well as Mark chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. Here, He was coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So we see it there, and we're like, well, why is he even called Jude? Well, there's probably two reasons. One is maybe rather obvious, and that is, So there's no confusion with Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. That could be one reason. The other is, Jude is short for Judas, just like Mike would be for Michael today. So that's a possibility as well. That's just something else to look at. Now, the other thing that Scripture tells us when we look at the context of the book of Jude, Scripture is very clear, very clear, that Jesus did not give any priority to his mother or his brothers which I found very interesting in my study. And you'll see that in Mark chapter 3. Write that down. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. As I say, write it down. I'm dating myself. And if you're in a gadget, type it in, right? Anyway, in verse 20 of that passage, Jesus was, he entered a home. This is the basic story. He entered a home and he started teaching. And if you read that passage, you find that the room filled up so much that they couldn't even eat. That means they couldn't prepare food, they couldn't, you know, they were stuck, but they were so engrossed into what he was saying, okay? And his family, it says in verse 21, his family heard about this and said he was out of his mind. Hmm, that's interesting. They said he was out of his mind, then they probably more than likely weren't agreeing with what he was doing, right? And this is what happened next. The teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem. And they said he was possessed. And we, we've heard stories before, those of us in the Word, that the, that the um, Pharisees and the Sadducees and all them, they didn't like what Jesus was happening. But his family came and they called into the home. They actually came. So some time has passed because they weren't there. These leaders came from Jerusalem. Now his family's there. So he's been there for a while at this point. That's what we can observe from that verse. And they called in. And somebody tells him, hey, your mother and your brothers are calling in to you. Hey, and what does he reply? This is a very well-known verse to those of you in the Word. Mark 3.33, Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. He looked around the room and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. So again, it's Jesus speaking in a way that seems... You know, you don't understand it on his face unless you have a spiritual understanding that we are his brothers and sisters 
in Christ in that way. And he is also our father, right? The other thing we find in John 7, 5, that his siblings were not followers of Jesus while he was alive. John 7, 5, for even his own brothers did not believe him. That's another supporting verse about that. It was actually after Christ's resurrection and his ascension that his immediate family believed. His brothers and their wives actually became missionaries. So if you jot these verses down, you'll find it there in Acts 1, 14 and 1 Corinthians 9.5. Now, if we go back to that verse, okay, go back to Jude, verse 1. What else can we observe? Observe is key when you're reading Scripture. Now, forgive me for talking about the basics this morning and about looking at Scripture, but what's the big idea? Know God's truth is part of that, right? And remember it. To know God's truth, you've got to be able to study it. It's not just reading it like a novel or reading it like a book. There's things in there to know. So, right there, what do we notice? He says, a servant of Jesus Christ. Hey, Jesus was my brother. You should have seen that kid uh, when we were growing up. You know what it's like to have a perfect older brother? It's ridiculous. He does everything right. He never gets yelled at. I get all the grief. There's none of that. He doesn't say, or he doesn't brag here. Jesus was my brother. I know. I knew him since I was born. No, a servant. So there's humility here. So Jude is approaching this humbly. And I think that's key as we start to look at this book. Where's it coming from? Okay. All right. The next thing is to look at is when did he write it? Well, It's believed he wrote this between 65 and 80 A.D., which was 30 years after Christ was crucified. That's key. Now, the next thing is, who's his audience? There's no specific church mention. But what we do know when we get further in the text is that the people that he's writing to were definitely believers, and they had a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. And we'll look at that a little bit further on. Now what we're going to do is we're going to, um, as we look at why did he write it, give me a moment here, Um, the other thing, um, okay, so let's look at verse 3 and 4, and you should see it, yep, right here on the side screen, perfect, I can't see that, (laughs) so dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord." So what do we observe there when we read just that first sentence? Could you bring that back up on the screen, please, the the verses? Dear friends, although, and let's leave it there for a little bit, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. What's that say? It says he originally intended to write them about something else. He wanted to write them about the salvation we share. 
But that didn't happen. I want to share a quick story with you. I, um, I, I lost my job back in November 2019, and I was out for almost 15 months, and I just started doing some part-time work for a small company. And we're doing a training session. The, the other team got there first. They did some training. We came in. We overlapped. And before we began our session, the owner gets up, big tall guy, um, and these are all, most of these guys are former police officers. He gets up and he says, I want everybody to know here, first and foremost, this is a God-fearing company. God's first in your, our lives, then your family, then you, then work. And I'll tell you what, there was an immediate connection with me. He said that three times. This is a God-fearing company, meaning we're a company of integrity. We're going to do what's right. We're going to do what's true, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we don't want to. And, and that resonated with me. And just like if you go somewhere and you meet a, you, you go to an event, a party, a gathering, and you meet somebody for the first time and you find that they're a believer, isn't there a connection right away? You're like, right away you can share stuff. And that is exactly what Jude is saying here. He's saying, I wanted to talk about our shared salvation. All right? But when we look at the second, although, starts to kick it off, although, and he says, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. So Jude realized there was something else going on that he had to talk to them about. And if we look at this, this is important. He tells them they must contend for the faith that was entrusted to all the saints, right? Well, Look up the word contend in your concordance. And again, I'm going to go back to studying the word of God. Some of you who have a Bible might have a limited concordance in the back of that. But I encourage each and every one of you to get an exhaustive concordance. All right? An exhaust. I used to sit in, in, in messages early on, and um, the, the, the preacher would say, you know, well, the Greek says this. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. You're, you're the preacher. You know that stuff, right? And then later on, I was like, well, where did he find that? How do you know? And, and the basics say, so, so the Old Testament is Hebrew, the New Testament Greek, and an exhaustive concordance is a book about that thick, if you get it in written form. I use Strong's, and uh, look at what version. Mine happened to be, it was given to me as a King James, and I primarily use the NIV Bible, so I have to kind of cross-reference. But it's critical because of the translation to English some of the meaning is sometimes lost. So when you go to the concordance, you can look up what the original Greek or Hebrew word was, and you can find out what its meaning was. So that's critical when we look at Scripture, and that's exactly what we, I did here, because contend, I'm like, contend? Huh. You know, I can look that up in a dictionary, but is it really going to tell me what Jude's saying? And so I looked it up, and it comes from a Greek word, epagonismal paganismal, which means to struggle, to fight, okay? So he's telling them they need to fight for the faith. The other key word in there is entrusted, okay? Entrusted. Entrusted means we have a responsibility. So he's saying we must fight for our faith and we have a responsibility to do so. Now, Scripture is descriptive or prescriptive. And in this case, he's speaking to this church, 
but it applies to all of us today. Okay? As Christians and as believers, we too must fight for our faith, and we have a responsibility to do so. Which leads us... can do this, right? There we go. All right. And um, so, what did he do here? Jude realizes God's truth in this verse. Realizes God's truth. We need to realize God's truth, and we must fight for our faith by defending God's truth. That's very key, very key. And we have a responsibility to do so as believers in Christ. I can bring that back up for you. Um, Now, so this is why he's saying it. And he's very quick to the point. I think I want to look again at, oh, could you bring that up? I want to go to verse 4 here, or come to the next slide, I think, which is verse 4, yeah. For certain men, you've already seen this verse, but I want to bring it back up. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Okay, this, this is... They secretly, they were deceptive. Why'd they secretly slip in among them? Well, because they didn't want to be noticed, obviously, right? If they were forthright and honest, they probably would have been booted out, right? So they came in secretly. They were corrupt. They were corrupt teachers who had infiltrated this church. Now, now notice one thing here, and we look at that, is that Jude doesn't point specifically to their teaching when you go through the whole book, nor does he in this verse, but rather their way of life. What were they doing? What were their actions? You can say you believe one thing, but if you're going to do the other, then guess what? Then you really don't believe this over here. And that's what he's saying here. He says, they changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They distorted God's grace, justifying themselves in doing whatever they wanted. So we must know God's worth. If we're going to recognize when God's word is not being followed, we must know it, right? We must know it. And we are to memorize it and remember it. Okay, years ago, Mary and I, when we lived in California, we'd go visit an aunt, she's aunt and uncle in Vegas, and was pre, was, we didn't have kids yet, and eventually we had Ashley, and she was in the back seat along with us, but we had scriptures on these little cards I wrote out, and my, if anyone knows my wife Mary, she's very competitive, and uh, so I don't know, we got up to like 40 verses, and uh, we'd have competitions. Who could say a verse and we'd alternate, and we'd see who could go the longest and quote that verse by memory, and back and forth, back and forth, and see who was left. <laughs> but I encourage you, memorize Scripture, find those key verses. And it's so that we recognize any deception or corruption. And um, I, we should be out of here by 4 o'clock. I'm not too worried. Um, all right, I want, I want to go to a story here because this is very key. 
in the fact of, of what Jude says here about these men changing the grace of our God into a license of immorality. This last December, we were very blessed. Our Ashley flew in from Greenville, and Michael drove up from Salina, Kansas, and we attended our nephew's wedding. And, oh, this wedding was awesome. It's the fourth best wedding I've been to because first was mine, and then my daughter's tie for second, so that's three weddings. This was the fourth. But it was just like a worship service. There were worship songs, and people were raising their hands, and, and, and Tony, the pastor who, who married them, just did a wonderful job. He said, everything right. I mean, just so loving and gentle, and, and, and our uh, nephew and his fiance just solid in the word. And I learned that uh, the gentleman marrying them had actually been supporting for years a ministry that is world-renowned. So during the reception, I went up to him, and I said, hey, Tony, I heard a rumor. He says, what's that? I said, I heard that you've been supporting this ministry for a number of years. And he goes, well, actually, I've served on the board for 25 years. And granted, this is an international ministry all over the world, many locations. And um, I later found out he'd actually been working with this Christian man for 33 years. And this Christian man actually passed away last year. And Tony says to me, well, since he passed away, I don't know if you know, but a gal has come out and said that um, there was some improper um, things that were done by this Christian leader. And we've hired an investigator, and we told him all we want is the truth. All we want is the truth. And unfortunately, a little over two weeks ago, the board came out publicly and stopped the investigation They said the proof was overwhelming, and they released the report, and they said there's no reason to go any further, and this entire ministry that had been built up for years is crumbling right now. So it's it's a matter of we must be aware, we must be aware, and Jude is warning them, he's warning them. This is key. Our acceptance and understanding of God's grace through Christ must not only be intellectual and emotional, but it must demand a whole life response, including every action we take and every word we say. Let me repeat that. Our acceptance and understanding of God's grace through Christ must not only be intellectual and emotional, but it must demand a whole life response, including every action we take and every word we say. And this is the only way um, we, we, we must know this, okay? Um, now, if we jump to verses 15, uh, 5 through um, 19, this is when Jude, and we're, we're not going to show those on the screen, but this is when Jude started warning the people, and he goes back, and he, we can say, safely assume at this point, because he's going back in time, that this church he's talking to knew the Old Testament. And it's here that we find um, numerous examples of the past. And I'm just going to touch 
upon a couple of them. In Jude 5, he says, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the great exodus for sure, okay? And he's talking about the promised land. For, for those of you that may not be familiar with the great exodus, that's when Moses led the people out of Egypt. They all saw the Red Sea split. They walked on dry land. They saw all these miracles. They come to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up, gets the Ten Commandments, and when he comes down, what does he see? Yeah, Hey, Aaron, would you uh, give us an idol? We uh, don't know where Moses is. He's not back yet. Uh, yeah, give me your gold earrings and all your gold. I'll melt it down and make you a calf. You know, what, what good did that do? Moses comes down, he's mad, and the people rebelled. And what did God do? He destroyed some of those people, didn't he? The other example we can look at is, is and that's Exodus chapter 32, if you want to write that down and make a note, is Numbers 13 and 14. Numbers 13 and 14. And in chapter 13, that's when the 12 spies go into the promised land, right? They go in there, and this is what they've been waiting for. They go. God's already shown them all these miracles. He's covered them with a cloud during the day to keep them, you know, shaded and cool and a fire by night in the middle of the desert wilderness. He parted the Red Sea and did all these miracles. And the 12 spies go in for 40 days and 40 nights, and they come back. And Caleb's like, ah, this is great. And they bring back this, this wonderful food and all this. Caleb's like, we can go take them. We can go take them. And what happens? Ten of the other spies, oh, I'm afraid those people are big. We can't do this. So that night, they spread bad reports amongst the rest of the people. And the next day, they grumble. We're not going to go. We can't do it. We can't do it. And Caleb's like, yes, we can. Yes, we can. No, nope, not enough. Got all these... Thousands of people grumbling now. And the 10 men in Numbers 14, 37, and the 10 men who spread the bad report were struck down and died of a plague. So God destroys those. That's what he did. He's warning us. He's warning us here. The next one is, would be in Jude 7. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah here. They were plagued by, plagued by sexual immorality and perversion. It was so bad that even the two angels that went in to save Lot and his family, they looked like men, and they went into Lot's house, and what happened? The people outside started banging on the door. They wanted the two angels for perverted reasons. I mean, Lot was even willing to give his daughter. But what happened? When the angels escaped with Lot and his family fled, God disintegrated both cities with sulfur and fire. And some biblical scholars believe the reason that Jude refers to these two examples, and there's many others in there, as well as verse 6, which I won't go into, um, they believe that these false teachers, these scoffers that came into this church that Jude is writing to were guilty of these same sexual immorality, um, immoral activity. And these people of the past in Sodom and Gomorrah, the ten spies, they rejected God's authority. They did. They rejected it. And Jude is saying that is exactly what those who have secretly slipped in are trying to do. They've rejected God's authority. 
So we need to recall God's truth. Okay? And when we recall it, we find what he did to those who rejected him in verses 5 to 11. And what he will do to those who rebel against him. And he says this in verses 14 through 15 in Jude. He will convict the ungodly. See, the, let's turn to Jude 14 and 15 and 14b. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Hmm. As we move on here. Verses 17 through 19 in Jude, if you jump there. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So he says, scoffers, scoffers, right? Uh, yeah, scoffers. These are mockers or false teachers. These are the ones who've infiltrated in. And he says, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ were told. Why? And he does that, as I said in the previous verse here. Um, let's see. Sorry, I got a little off track here. Um. We need to respond to God's truth. If we know God's truth, if we remember God's truth, we need to respond to God's truth. And that's where we're going here. We need to remember it. And he, he tells us, and that's what the apostles told us in the upcoming verses. And I'm going to quote some of those. So get your pens and pencils or your fingers ready. These are ones you can look at later. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Or 2 Timothy 3. 1 through 9. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. And then I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 19. And verse 15, we're warned by one of the apostles here. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Ferocious wolves. So we must know God's word. We must remember God's word. And we must be willing to fight for God's word. We've got to recognize and respond to it. So we do what's right by exposing false teachers and evildoers. We need to do what's right by exposing false teachers and evildoers. And we're warned about them. That's what Jude is doing here. Now let's move on to Jude 20 through 23 here. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's, 
excuse me, God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What is Jude saying here? Well, he's saying here, encourage fellow believers. We need to encourage one another. We all have those downcast days. I'm not going to lie to you. The last 15 months were not easy every day, okay? I had my down times, but many of you encouraged me. Um, so we need to encourage one another. We need to, he says here we need to build up one another, pray for one another, love one another, be merciful to one another. Let's not, let's not beat up our own, okay? Let's encourage them. Let's build them up. Let's pray for them. Let's love them. Be merciful to them. Um, one moment. And then, uh, I want to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10 here. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. That is us. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to emulate. That's what we need to emulate. And um, so we must know and remember the Word of God if we're going to fight for God's truth. How can you fight for something if you don't even know what it is? It's logical, right? So that's what I'm encouraging, brothers and sisters, is that you get into the Word of God if you know Christ and begin to learn, hunger for. There's so many tools available for us. I mean, I I love podcasting, uh, listening to stuff while I'm working around the house. I always capture these golden nuggets, and I encourage you to do the same thing. Now, as you you ponder this verse a little bit, and look at it on the screen. I want to go to a story. And um, this is a personal story that really starts, really, I thought, I have permission from my wife to tell this story. She's, she's got a look on her face. But in uh, December of 2009, We uh, had just left a, a, a company Christmas party, a company I'd started at a few months earlier. And to be honest, Mary and I had reached a point in our marriage independently where, okay, I guess this is as good as it gets. We're committed to God. We'll just go through it the way it is. And as I got off the freeway onto the main road to come home, my precious bride turned to me and she said, Roger, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh boy. And uh, she started to tell me that for the previous several months, a Christian man had been pursuing her.
even though he knew she was married. And she had started feeling some emotional attraction there. But you know, to my wife's credit, she knew God's word. And she remembered God's word. She remembered her commitment to me. And as I pulled off the road and we sat there and talked, there's something else that she said too that I think all of us who walk with Christ must remember. That is this. That when we make decisions and do things that don't honor God, we never know what impact that will have on others. And she said to me, Raj, I can't pursue these feelings. I know they're wrong. I know what God's word says. But what would it say to all the kids I've taught in Awana and all the kids we've taught in Sunshine Park if I were to pursue this? So we worked on our marriage. We made it through. So there were two bad years. <laughs> it's going to be down to a month soon, though. Uh, uh, but we're getting better and stronger all the time. We're being sanctified. So as I close us in prayer, keep those thoughts in mind in terms of what Jude is saying here, that you'll be strong in the word, study his word, know it, and remember it. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, it's times when we go into your word, yes, we want to know truth. We should have a hunger for it. And there's people here today who have known you for years in some way. And even like myself, years ago, I, I would just come to church on Sunday. I, I didn't put any more effort into knowing you. But when I did and I started to, I began to hunger for it. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room today and those listening online that they'll have that same hunger, that desire to spend time with you, that desire to know your word and your truth so that they're willing to fight for that truth. And Lord, I must believe right now there may be somebody in this room or somebody listening online, maybe for the very first time, have decided to hear about you. They don't know what they're looking for. They just sense an emptiness in their life. Maybe they've tried other things to fill it with in this world and realized they're all temporary. And maybe they've done many things that have gone against your word. Lord, I pray for those particular individuals that you'll help them realize that we're all sinners and that we cannot earn our way into heaven with you that it is a gift of God. It's a gift from you. And may their spiritual eyes be opened this morning and seek out a believer to come to know you and love you as people of faith. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. If, if you're one of those people today and, and you have not known Christ and you're struggling right now, please come up afterwards, see myself, or if you're listening online, uh, call the church. We'll, we'll get you connected with someone who can at least talk with you. Thank you.